Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octo non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Retired Navy SEAL Tom Shea served with the U.S. Navy for 23 years with distinguished valor. Before writing his best-selling book, Unbreakable, A Navy SEAL's Way of Life, and his latest release, Three Simple Things, Leading During Chaos. As founder of Unbreakable Leadership, Tom has trained thousands of people around the world to overcome chaos by applying the rules of three simple things, things to their lives and in their businesses. Now, Tom developed this leadership process and method during his military career, where he served in three wars, ultimately leading a team of SEALs into Afghanistan in 2009. There, he earned a Silver Star, Bronze Star with Valor, Army Commendation with Valor, and his second Combat Action Medal. He was later hand-selected to serve as officer in charge of the famed SEAL Sniper Course. Tom trains leaders to lead at home, at work, and in their personal lives, and the foundation of success is two principles, honoring your word and never giving up. These two principles build sustainable success, and honoring these is not always easy, but it is simple, and it has to be simple in combat. And when you apply them, your life will absolutely change. You can learn more about Tom, buy his books, and everything else about his incredible experiential leadership training courses at unbreakableleadership.com. Tom, thank you so much. I know that was a long string on that, Kai, to introduce you, but I just wanted to make sure people knew the, the caliber of gentleman that we were speaking with today, and thank you so much for being here. Uh, you lost me at your name. I'm more enamored with your name than my own experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, your experience is tremendous, and there were so many things that I, I would like to ask you, but when people hear the term SEAL or when they hear the term SEAL sniper, what is the biggest misconception about that when people hear those words? It gets uh, kind of lost in the grayness of, of movies that portray SEALs to be maybe aggressive and mean and, and uh, cold and as snipers being this, uh, you know, instrument of death or whatever they put, they portray, uh, the, the, I think the opposite of true because, uh, in the SEAL teams, it's very, a very warm, intimate environment of human beings. And it's just nobody can make it through training. So the small amount of guys who find it inside of them become, I guess, to the outside world, very cold and stoic, but to the team itself, very warm and open. The art and science of sniping is a, a very intimate business, and you would never know that. But uh, you have to know a lot about yourself to to be on the gun, and you got to understand what you're doing to the other people that you're shooting at. It takes uh, a long time to be a good sniper, and a lot of bullets and a lot of thoughts. So uh, you never hear anybody say that. It's the, they think it's like grunt, grunt, grunt. You know, shoot them and 
don't care, but uh, you have to, you get an insight to yourself that's unique and, and rare. It's interesting too, because people think that to be a good sniper, all you have to do is be good on the gun and be accurate. But as a matter of fact, that's only a, a small part of it. I mean, between reconnaissance, between overwatch, between all this intel that you collect, sometimes a sniper doesn't even fire a bullet. You have one percent, uh, 6% of the time in the military and as a sniper, you're pulling the trigger. All the other 97% or, or less or a little bit more, but gun time is for TV. It's all the small moments of discouragement and encouragement and not wanting to be there and burning and passing out and, and hot and dehydrated. And it just makes for terrible movies. Like truth is so, uh, uh, what do they say? Truth is not that set you free. Truth is so boring that you can't make a movie from it. Everybody likes excitement, but nobody can deal with the boredom of being successful. Not that that's what you asked, but uh, it's a it's a weird environment that is a true paradox. I love that comment, the boredom to be successful, because it, there is monotony. It does take hundreds of thousands of repetitions. It does take all that time on the gun where you're never doing anything, but yet it gives you that monotony. It gives you that boredom so that when something does happen, it happens so quickly, you have to be able to react. Yeah, it's the, it's the relentless constant. And this is really what people think they know. But uh, the reality of it is uh, being in the SEALs and especially being a sniper, is, it's this relentless, constant boredom of training, like you're training. You're shooting one stupid round, then you're shooting another one and then another one. And, and every round counts. You can't just shoot rounds just to count them. You shoot everything that you do is watched and observed and critiqued. And every, gosh, every year that I was an operator, I shot around 200,000 rounds. Wow. And that you get so good at it that uh, you don't understand how good you are at something. And then when, when I, it, uh, interesting conversation. So as, as I got out of the SEAL teams, I recognized that nobody ever practiced at that level. And uh, people wonder why they're frustrated at success is that's what success looks like is you have to do something until you're bored and then you start training. <laughs> you know? Once the excitement leaves, you're, that's about 10,000 iterations, then 900,000 more iterations of utter, dude, I don't want to do this. Pull the trigger again, pull the trigger again. And, uh, but that's what it takes to be at the, that number one level. I know that you've been on multiple weapon systems, but the primary weapon that you use then was it a, was a 762 around the 308 or were you guys using 30 out sick? I mean, uh, well, we have guns designed for whatever mission that we're on. So, so you get like eight different guns as a seal. 556 is the round that it's easy to practice with because it's light and, uh, you can shoot a bunch and it's fun and it doesn't recoil. And in combat, the 556 is not a really good round because it's a maiming round. It's never meant to shoot at a human being over 110 pounds or anything over 110. Went into all my combat engagements over 23 years with uh, either an M14 or a SCAR, which is the new 7.62 that the teams picked up. And I refused to go into combat with a light, lightweight caliber. And then the sniper rifles were either 300 or 7.62 was another sniper rifle and 338. Pua and some 50 cal, all different types of weapons that you can use. And I'm just a fan of uh, the bigger, the better. Yeah. If you have a 50 cal, you can do recon by sniper. And yeah, you can miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can shoot by them and still, still win. That's uh, that's the beauty of having that caliber. And again, that's the beauty of 
having those repetitions in because now when you get behind the gun, it's like breathing. You see the opportunity and the trigger pretty much pulls itself because you're in that mastery. That's, uh, I think the greatest gift of being a SEAL or living in that, that lifestyle for a long period of time is a contrast between that lifestyle and other companies, people that you meet when you get out. The advantage of living that lifestyle is if you're willing to live it, you can do really well at anything in life. It's not just the combat environment. It's just the constant commitment and repetition to be better at your craft. Yeah, I wish more people would have it. And like you said, you can't teach it. They have to go out and seek it themselves and then get to that place of, I don't want to do this anymore. And understanding that gives you an unfair advantage, like you said, in other places, which is, but it has to, because if it's combat, your team's on the line. Other people may die if you're not able to, to do that without thinking about it. So powerful. There are a million questions I'd like to ask you, but I was looking online. I was doing a lot of research with what you were talking about and you were making a comment. You said that when you're in the middle of the hardship, it is easier to keep going than it is than when it's not hard. You were talking about the 24 hour challenge that you were doing says, so I was going to ask, why is it easier to keep going when it's hard than when it's easy? Uh, boy, the easiest answer to that, I wouldn't have known it as a kid because, uh, you know, as you, as you grow up, you don't, you kind of don't really go towards hardship. When, once things get bad, your parents are like, Hey, don't hurt yourself. And society doesn't really like to embrace hardship. So the, the youth of today, and even when I was growing up, it wasn't something that yeah, I ran happily into. And then as a, an older person uh, and mid age and then growing older, I realized that if you want to do well, you got to embrace those difficult times. Humans don't like to exist in comfort. You have to be taught to go to comfort. Kids don't like, if you watch a little kid, kids don't like to slow down. They like to bang their knee and then they need to be, uh, everything's going to be okay. But so they like to push limits. They like to be uncomfortable. They like to be environments that are new and we beat that out of them. And so as an adult, you got to beat yourself back into the right you know, frame of mind. And how I knew that to be true is I learned it from Hell Week is the easiest way to get somebody to quit is not give them something torturous to do. It's give them nothing to do and don't let them be a part of any solution. And so I would pick people out of the boat crews in the middle of Hell Week and make them walk behind the boat, which usually could be a reward. Man, I'm suffering. I'd like to not do this. And 90% of the time, the people that I would pull out would quit within 30 minutes. Wow. And they would quit. And they'd all say, it's because I didn't feel like I was a part of it. So what I learned from that is humans really love to be a part of something that's ominous. That they can, even though they may not feel they're doing well, they like to be a part of things that are uh, struggle, 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 struggle. And it's also why people stay in bad relationships. Because it's a human struggle that they they want the most. I now put a, together a bunch of trainings for people and leaders to give them that struggle again so they can find the better parts of themselves. I always say that adversity doesn't show us who we are. It strips away all the shit that we're not. Yeah, that's true. So all these excuses, all the stuff that we've told ourselves to justify our actions or to to quit on something, that piles up. And eventually, we can't tell the difference between who we really are 
and what we are, are doing in this moment. So I think that's so important. Well, that you know, that's uh, a lot of people ponder that equation that you just put together and you kind of slipped over. You know, a lot of people are trying to find out who they are. You can never find who you are. You can only find who you were and who you were not. Because in this moment, you never know. It doesn't matter if you were fast yesterday. It doesn't matter if you were a good lover yesterday. What you do now is always unknown. So the pondering of like, who am I is just, an, it's a fleeting experience. And it's just a relentless life. It's, you got to figure it, you got to keep trying to figure it out and you'll never know. You find somebody that knows who they are, they can only describe who they were. Who are you now? I don't know. I have no idea who I am. And I'm going to fail a thousand times in this next second. But most people don't like to live that. They like to know who they are as reference to all the things that they've been able to accomplish. But there's no guarantees at this moment that you could do that. Even you dying about dying, that was a discovery. And then, but that's not you now. You know what I mean? It's, it's so true. Even in infantry school, you would see like, uh, cause I was 38 when I went in and there's, you know, 20 year old studs. They can run like gazelles. They can do pull ups and push ups and setups all day, but they hadn't really been pushed ever in their lives. They just happened to be in good physical condition. And then when you put that kid under sleep depth, no food, no water, you're making them memorize something. And now we're in the heat of it. That's when they start to fall apart because they assume that because they were good at this one thing, that they will be good, not only all the time, but at everything. And that's when they really start to learn. So I love that idea of, I, I have past experience, which helps me have an idea, hopefully of what I would do. I have no clue what I'll do until I'm in it. And most people live in this vacuum where there's, there's protected from anything. That's why people overreact so much. Now people in today's society don't even know what a true threat is physically. They don't Mm -hmm. because they've never been there. And so if a person pulls them, pulls it in front of them in traffic or gives them a mean look at a coffee shop, they get defensive or they automatically overreact because they have no clue what's going on when in actuality, in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't fucking matter. They can just take a breath and move on with their life that they shouldn't even give that a second thought. But because they have no resilience, because they've never been tested, they have no clue what they should really be reacting to. And then they, it makes them underreact to the things that they should be actually putting that real effort and emotion into. But that's a fact. More to the point that people are underwhelmed and underreactive to things. <laughs> it's tragic. I don't even know how, how to address uh, the, the 80% of the humans on the planet are sheep by choice, not by genetics. They are going the direction that other people point them unwillingly and will do nothing about it. But that it's also tragic. And it, it's tragic because, like you said, it's it's willful. It's they're choosing to be pacified by social media or by this distraction or by alcohol or by this empty relationship. But there's so much more out there. It's a funny thing. The uh not that it's a topic of it could be a topic of your title of the podcast, which I think is a great title, is but the topic of how we interact with the various traits that we that we have inside of us, the various types of wolf, if you want to call it. A lot of different reference, which which you feed matters the most, you know, and the true fact uh, that you're never taught until you're older is be very careful that you, or the best way of saying it is you have five senses and they only interpret everything as true. Your sense of smell is only true. That smells like roses. It must be a rose. Somebody tells me something, it must be true without proof because your senses, 
I got to realize a billion years of programming, they're only supposed to analyze truth. It hears something, sees something, it sees it as true. So now the social media and the world around us are presenting non-truths as true. And we're living into those as if they are. And it's a weird, not that this, we're having an existential conversation, no, but we are. <laughs> it's that, that's the problem is nobody understands that social media is not true. None of it's true. News isn't true. None of it. None of the stuff that people observe on a day to day basis, you can invest in. You couldn't shoot a bullet into because it would never hit. And we're living our lives as if all that stuff has any value and matters. And it's disheartening to people that are trying to make a difference. And we're selling trying to make a difference as if that, if that's something that you can get people to do too. Get a job that you matter in. Dude, how about get a job? How about get a job, bro? You know what I mean? I want to, I want to matter. I want to be important. Dude, you're not important until you're 40. Just get work. I want to make a difference to the world. I want to solve hunger. Then eat right. You know what I mean? How about you do it? And so, yeah, it's the whole thing is a uh, Navy SEAL saying that's kind of weird, but the whole thing is uh, totally off balance. It's chaos, as you would put it. Waiting in that chaos is where the opportunity is. The people that are waiting back and trying to be, Always. trying to be safe under this illusion of safety are the ones that are, they don't understand that they're actually in more danger by doing that. Yeah. Terrible. Even though that you may not put this podcast out. So the day that we're doing the yesterday, everybody listening, Instagram and Facebook went down. There are people on the planet that probably thought about suicide. Sad. Think yeah. about that. They don't get enough re human interaction that they needed it off of virtual space. And it happened. They got nothing. There were people that were losing their business and their mind. And all it was just a misinterpretation of uh, the value of what you could offer into any space as opposed to going out and meeting people. All right, Instagram's off. We're going to go do stuff. People were like bent. Think about that. People were out of control. Yeah, it's, it's scary. And, and that's the question we should, people listening to us now should be asking is what you're doing even matter? Are you just getting good at shit that doesn't matter? Are you worried about vanity metrics or about social media? And if all that stuff went away, like it did yesterday, was there a void? Why, why were you even caring about that? Why would you not spend that time with a person or going out to meet people or doing something actually making a physical difference as opposed to the superficial idea or this illusion that is social media or the news or anything else that's out there for the matter of fact, it's all that stuff is, is you can buy it. And if we follow the money and we follow the interests, it always leads back to that. Those are the common denominator. The fact that we have, you and know, I have some kind of common relationship of having spent some time in the military. The military gets a bad rap for some strange reason. When you're in it, it's just a bunch of human beings that have a very interesting reason to be together. But it's a unique environment that is 200, however old the United States is, 240 plus years of information and experiences being passed down. And then so that Somebody 240 years ago had an experience that I can go through that experience, the same one in today's filth and grime, and and I can kind of hit bottom and be picked up by the people around me. The reason why I'm bringing that up is it gives you a core experience or core way of, of living uh, or a baseline of life that is really uh, alluring to me now to teach people what I think is more important than anything is have non-negotiable things in your life. Things should not be 
negotiable. Certain things are, should be, you know, in the military, they teach it, but you don't learn it. You learn it, but you don't understand the power of it is, uh, I say it this way is work out every day, motherfucker. Listen, you got to work out every day. Don't complain anymore. But in the military, they do it by hammer. You know, we're going to get up at four and we're going to work out for an hour. And we complain about that. But everybody that makes it through boot camp is literally in the best shape of their life. They feel like they can do anything. They don't know how that got there. So then, you know, two years later, they're like, yeah, maybe I want to work out three days a week. No, that's not, it's not the negotiation. You know, and the other part that they learn is be very clear and forthcoming on communication. Like you learn that in the military, straightforward, like you don't lie. And then outside the military, people lie all the time. Like you can't lie in boot camp. If you do, you get punished. Cool. You make a mistake, get punished. It doesn't stay with you for the rest of your life. And that makes you go, you know what? Uh, okay. I, hey, boss, I screwed up. I'll take the punishment but I don't want to live in a condition that there's people not communicating openly. So, and then on the outside, there's not 240 years of experience being passed to business owners. So there's deception. There's, there's communication that's not relevant. There's unhealthy people. And boy, if you just solve those three problems, communicate, be with people who are committed and be in shape. If you solve that in the, in any part of your life, you're really going to win. And then the military passed on something as well called practice, practice, rehearse, practice, rehearse, practice. In business, there's no rehearsal and practice. There's here's the equivalent of here's a pistol and here's a, a bullet. We're going to drop you into the Amazon and whoever makes it out is going to be a part of the company. That means there's no loyalty. So I may figure it out on my own, but you didn't help me. In the military, there's here's a bullet. And here's, oh, before we give you the gun, you got to name every part of it. Oh. And then you got to show proficiency. And by the time you're shooting, you feel like you have loyalty. And so at the end of that, uh, I think the only branch in the world or only service in the world that has this is Marines have a level of loyalty to each other that no other service has ever. And everybody recognizes it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was in the Navy, but they're Marines. I know they already, they're going to stick together no matter what. And they didn't even have to know each other. That comes from that human condition that is not negotiable. Do hard things with hard people and choose these people wisely. Reinforce them and train them and don't abandon them and never leave them behind. All those things were taught in the military. And look at what's not being embraced in our society. And it was all taught in the military. I think everybody should serve in the military. I agree. I mean, even though that wasn't the conversation. No, I, I love where we're going with this. And it's so true. And it's so necessary because, again, that's what real leadership looks like. That's what true communication looks like. If anything in the military, what did we learn? Over-communicate. Tell me where you're at. Tell me what this intel is. Is this intel? Because the intel is going to change. But that communication right now, you have a team and you're telling me to do this. Yeah, I'm doing that as opposed to okay, well, I hope that Marcus remembers that we need to flank at this point, or I hope that he remembers yeah, yeah, on yeah, the, yeah. the intent before we started this or the op order is like, it's too late. Like, tell me, fucking take your team over there and engage so that we can cover us so we can move. Yeah, Roger that. I got it. I mean, I don't take it personally. 
I don't say, well, I feel like he wasn't being sensitive to my needs. And he, he used this oh, yeah, adversarial yeah. term yeah. and I felt threatened. It's like, no, in the grand scheme of things, if we want to survive, this is what we have to do. So stop taking things personally, execute and communicate. It's, it's not that hard. But in, like you said, if people can't even be honest with themselves, let alone with a coworker, of course, there's going to be a lot of subterfuge. There's going to be a lot of stuff that's not very cool. Yeah, I always wonder why that's not embraced in the outside. I also, not that blame ever solves anything. Uh, it's how things are misportrayed, uh, either through movies or, or bad experiences or social media says something and we therefore agree with it. Our parents had a bad experience, so they relate that to us. And there's some great, massive years of greatness uh, passed on through the military. And it's the only place now that you can get it because businesses now rarely last more than five years. Yeah. One of the things that uh, is lost that people don't understand is the form of leadership that works the best is a transient leadership is I'm only here for a short period of time and I'm working my way out of this position and you, you and you will eventually take over this spot. So it's a collective work of like art to move things forward with the idea that you're going to leave. So you're leaving more behind than you are taking. That's a military experience because military leadership is transient and you don't get a hundred years to fuck it up. You know, you don't get a lifetime of CEO to screw up something and you're not a CEO for very long. You're a transient leader. And that what it did in the still teams, is it really empowers everybody to be actually better than the leader. It's because the leader is just there to keep things from going bad, never to make a decision. Everybody else is making decisions and the leader reinforces already clearly made decisions by somebody else. And in the SEAL teams, that really is the only place that I saw in the military that, that exists. In the regular army, it was hard to see that. What does the LT say or the sergeant or the platoon sergeant? In the, in the teams, nobody waits to be told. <laughs> you have to rein people in as opposed to encourage. There's no encouragement and the no cheerleading in the SEAL teams. There's rein them in. Okay, you screwed that up. You went way too far. Uh, let's back off a little bit. And covering down on mistakes constant is what leadership is in the SEAL teams, as opposed to encouragement, pushing, forcing, cajoling, and all the terms that come from most businesses. How do I encourage people to do their job? I, when people ask me that, I'm like, fire them. Find somebody else to do it. If you're having to encourage somebody to do their job, uh, we have a, we should go back to square, square one, you know? You're absolutely right. I mean, and, if you know that you're a transient leader and there's two or three people that are going to be taking that spot, one, that makes you want to give as much as you can to that team. Two, it invests them in the entire process. Because like you said, hey, you may be gone tomorrow. And they're like, hey, by the way, I need you to step up. And now you're going to be the team leader, squad leader, CEO, whatever. And now if you don't know what that was, or if you weren't paying attention, again, in business today, you have people that have the cronyism. They're afraid of promoting somebody, afraid of helping somebody win because, well, this younger guy may take my position. Well, if he does, it's because he probably deserves it and you're not doing what you should be doing. If you're building a team, you should be fine with it. Yeah. Most businesses that are not structurally set up to be very growth oriented, they're plateau businesses and growth orientation is a transient thing is you want people to come and go from your business. You want them to take what you can do better than anybody else 
for a short period of time and then leave or push the business up. Since leaders don't have that transient mind, they're thinking 50 years ahead. How am I going to get this business to exist for 20 years? A transient leader doesn't regard that as something that they should do. They should keep growing the people and the product may change. So most businesses look at themselves as I have a service that I'm providing with a product to it. And the problem with technology is by the time that product matures, it's already about old. You know, yeah, what, I mean? it's what I've seen is uh, the teams were only committed to the people. They weren't committed to targets. They weren't committed to operations. They weren't committed to guns. They weren't committed even to training. Training can change tomorrow morning. Somebody comes with a better idea. They come in, they, they show you, okay, we're going to do that. The teams were very nimble when it came to that. But that type of brain power or mindset is so rare to be able to pivot very quickly and be 100% committed to the new pivot. Now it's going to be forced upon the world to be able to pivot quickly because things aren't doing well, even though they're, they look like they're doing well. People that have to be stationary and have to be informed and have to have a great quality of life are going to be struggling for a while. And the people who pivot go, okay, we're not doing that anymore. We're doing that instead. There's so much in that. It's so interesting too, because people always talk about, oh, we care about our people and we care about this and we care about our, our purpose. But yet if they really did, like you said, they would do what you were saying, which is investing in the team, investing in those people, investing in cultivating that, not being afraid of it, not being afraid if they outgrow this position or outgrow this company, because in the end, you elevating them is going to elevate everything, which will allow you to pivot, which will show you opportunities within the chaos, as opposed to doing like, you and I have seen this in the last five years, JCPenney, brick and mortar stores that have been around that were like staples are just gone because they refused to pivot. They believed their own, they corroborated their own belief. Oh, well, we were the ones that got us here, blah, 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 blah. And now they're, they're woefully behind. And in a fight, in a firefight anywhere, once you feel like you're one step behind, you're not. You're actually two or three. It just takes you that long to figure it out. And now you would have to violently leapfrog in front of the enemy to win. And people can't do that because they don't have that capacity right now. Well, there's like a hundred questions that were posed right there. Not that I'm the most intelligent human on the planet. The One of the realities is uh, other than some contraindication of solutions, everything great happens to a human being and the experiences that they have happen young. So if you're not raised with a nimble mind by the time you're 18, you're done. If you're a fixed mindset, it's going to take a near-death experience to transform that mind. If you're nimble, so nimble comes from two things, having parents that are allowing you to be nimble and fail or having parents that don't do well as parents. So things aren't good at home. You got to figure shit out. But if you have a rigid parent, structurally rigid, make your bed, even though our silly Admiral Craven said that as a metric of success. I've never met a SEAL ever made his own bed. So I don't know where that came from. Other than in boot camp and, and buds, you never make your bed. You know, if you have a rigid parenting that are linear, those kids grow up into a linear mind and a linear mind in today's workspace is tragic. They'll become the lawyer or the accountant. Not that there's anything bad with that, but they have to be given jobs. They have to, they're not entrepreneurial. 
society that now doesn't like the entrepreneur is an interesting analogy. But the linear mind is learned and it's hammered in by the time it's 18. And then it gets reset around 35 years old. Humans have the ability to reset that mind and they can change then. But between 18 and 35, people who are rigid struggle. The people who are nimble don't struggle. And the society was built on the rigid mind for the longest time. Schools are rigid, linear thinking. And we now are in in a part of our human growth that that ain't working anymore, but we're, we're holding on to it. If you were to look at the math behind, if you were now graduating high school, what would you do? When I went through high school and graduated, going to college was the best math, best way to make a living and have money, go to college because that was the best way. Now you can throw a pebble, hit a thousand people that have a master's degree. None of those people can do anything. The people that are doing really well are the plumbers, the electricians, and the builders, and there's not enough of them. So if you want to have a really great lifestyle where you actually make a huge measurable difference and you see your work and it's tangible, gosh, my cousin makes 250 a year as a plumber. I'm in the wrong business. (laughs) I'll just go be a plumber. You know what I mean? Even though you're digging in some shit every now and then, but tradesmen are doing really well and they'll be doing well for the next 15 years. The society is fighting that and it's going to, the trend has already moved towards tradescraft, but society's not looking at it. They don't want it to happen because you can't monetize it. They should, but people with a PhD are hired by tradesmen now. That weird shift is going on to address what I think is uh, what was on the table there to talk about. But going back to what I think is really important, a baseline of human activity, be physical every day for the rest of your life. You can't negotiate it. By the way, even if you're sick, you can be physical. The people who are surviving COVID, by the way, are athletic and they're not fat. So it's a fun indication, you know what I mean? And then the other one is be a consummate learner. Like always try to learn something. Don't be the smartest guy in the room. Even though you can say, hey, I'm smarter than you, but go, man, that guy's smarter than me. I want to learn something. So spend some time every day working out, some time every day trying to learn something new. And then the funny part of it is uh, in the world of business is do a job that you value, not for the money. Give up the thought of money. If you start doing the job that you value, the world changes because you will do what you value and you will be paid for what you value too. And that's a truth. Everybody says it doesn't work. I've just proved it for eight years and teaching people to do the work that they value. You can put a monetary metric on it. But if you're doing the work that you don't value, you can never get paid enough. There's never enough money to compensate for dumb. And then the one thing that I didn't think I would be in discussing with leaders that I still find to be not negotiable is uh, the chick that you married, marry her again or divorce her and find one to marry. Like the relationships that you have at home determine your success. It's a truth. I didn't think as a SEAL teaching leaders I would be in that conversation. That's the conversation that has to be happening because guys, male, female the same way, but 
male leaders are having tough time at home because nobody's helping them at home. And when they get their shit straightened out at home, their business grows to the point where I'm like, well, sell it. <laughs> You've 10X'd it. Let's get out from underneath it, start something else. And then the, the other part, the fifth part of the equation is your spiritual life matters. And if you don't have it, get it because it's not negotiable. So health, intellectual, wealth, relationships, and spiritual, every single day that ends in Y, you have to engage those. And it cannot be negotiated by the environment. Social media is not a point of negotiation. If they tell you something, don't believe it. Or try to figure out how they told you anything to true to see if it works. And you'll find that none of it actually works. But lead a non-negotiable life. Uh, it's very profound. I love all that. I love the simplicity. People don't understand. I mean, they do, but they don't like to acknowledge it. In the heat of battle, in the heat of any adversity, we don't have the luxury of being philosophical. So if it's something that's complex, it's going to unravel when we take first contact. Absolutely. But in social media now, what do they do? They want to make it more complicated. Okay, you need to, to buy this course. Okay, now that you've bought this course, that's this gives you all the skill set that you need to do whatever it is. But they don't have the foundational things that you're talking about, which is being true to their word, not giving up, having some sort of physical condition, embracing things, doing hard shit intentionally, seeking out adversity to get stronger. And because they don't have that foundation, no matter whose tool or tactic or system or whatever it is that they, they do or who they work for, they can never do it sustainably because, again, they're not doing something that they really care about, that they value. It's not a value that actually contributes to society, that makes it better. And because of that, they burn out. How many times do you do we talk to people where they're saying, I don't know if I can keep doing this or how do I push harder? And I'm like, you need to be asking yourself, is this even what you want to do? Because if that's not it. Yep. Yeah, that's a, I, I find that to be an, the most interesting conversation because it's a dual-edged blade. Hey, I'm burned out. One edge of that blade is, bro, you're only operating at 20% of your burnout. You got a hell of a lot more in you. Then the other side of the blade is the value. So the purpose side of the blade, which I would say should be not sharp. It should be like like the Bowie knife, the side of the knife that's reinforced with brass. You know what I mean? So the, the purpose side of your blade needs to not be sharp to cut with. It needs to reinforce the action side, which is the other side. And that purpose side is if you ain't doing what you value, stop doing it. And it depends what day you ask. So sometimes, you know, the Simon Sinek's of the world, who I think, uh, I, I think he means well, but I think he has an infant mind, is uh, ask why. Fuck, don't ask why anymore. Just stop. Don't ask why. Why is not purpose. Who you are is your purpose. The who conversation, who and what are purpose. Why is emotion. His brain is not right that he's teaching something that is never going to solve it. Try to be strong emotionally before you know who you are and what you're doing. You can't get there. Teaching resilience, which is why, prior to purpose, you're stuffed. You know what I'm saying? No, I absolutely do. Putting people through hard times doesn't teach them anything unless they have a purpose to be there. That's the equivalent of beating somebody thinking that beating them will make them better. Unless they're asking for the beating, they won't get anything from it. The, the purpose, the side of the blade that matters the most is the action side. It has to be, and the action side is what you do, which is back to the original conversation. 
the other side of the blade to how you show up in the world. So the measurement of your life is only what you do, not what you said you would do, and not why you did it or why you failed. That's the emotional side. You can sell people on why you fucked it up, but you still didn't do it. So I'm really, I became really interested as a SEAL is not what my intent was, but what actually happened. Then figuring out how to replicate that because good intents don't make it very long. And I've been in so much combat that the plan never makes it out the door. You can put 10 hours, 24 hours into the plan. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everybody agree. High five. Go out. Uh, You get shot at. Shit. I just shit my pants and never thought about that. (laughs) <laughs> I want to quit. Dude, we're not even out the... Uh, my chute didn't open. Fuck, all that stuff. Okay, well, let's put that into the plan. No, don't make the plan complicated. <laughs> Do this. Stop quitting. Let's teach people to stop quitting. Then they find the solution. So stop quitting first, which is what BUDS does. The only thing that SEAL training teaches you is not to quit. Now i got a bunch of people who aren't going to quit. Okay, now give them something to do. Put them in some area where there's action. And since they're not going to quit, there's only a solution that's going to be available. Take that as a relationship. So if I'm not going to quit on you, there's only stuff for you and I to do. Oh, you're having a bad day. Cool. Let's figure out what we can do together. Oh, I cheated on you. Cool. I'm not going to give up. Relationships are double-sided. It's not a one-way street. I caused it too, so I need to adapt to figure out why that happened, why you did that, because I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. There may be a time to quit, but I've not really seen a time to actually quit. You know what I'm saying? Expand on that. Most people say, in a relationship, what happens if that happens? Don't quit. Are you going to quit being a dad just because your kid fucks something? No. So why would you quit on a relationship? In the SEAL teams, there's just, we're not going to quit. We may come back and do the target tomorrow because the weather wasn't right or we ran out of rounds. Okay, cool. Let's back away. Let's figure out how to get them some other time, but we're not quitting on it because things are going bad. Things didn't go the right way. We're not quitting. We're readjusting. So that mentality is a beautiful mentality, but there's such a fine line between adaptation and quitting and when you're in the business, you can tell what's quitting and what's, what's adapting. Both are not taught well. Even on social media or even MBAs or PhDs for now, I see people that have a familiarity. Like if they're hearing what you're saying or what I'm saying, when I say adversity is a gift or emotions assassinate the truth, they're like, yeah, that sounds great. That makes sense. Or what you're saying, don't quit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. No, you, you're familiar with it, but are you doing it? Are, oh, are you doing it over and over again? Like the thousands of rounds that you put down range. Are you to the place where that's not even a question? That was part one of my interview with Tom Shea, retired Navy SEAL and founder of Unbreakable Leadership. You can hear part two of our interview on the next episode of Octonom Verba, where Tom returns to discuss why you should never make decisions from the bottom of the hill and how to empower your team to use their passions for success in business. Tom also discusses the transactional element of every relationship, common leadership mistakes that are bottlenecking your business, and why salaries are detrimental for business growth. Until next time, live a life of actions and not words. Live a life of octa, non verba. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.